Price is Right, I was thinking about this. This will age Dan, but it definitely ages me. How many of you even know who Bob Barker is? Okay, they do. Okay, okay. I thought, thought maybe that was a past thing. Okay. Because he was like, he was like, he was on Price is Right when I was younger than most of you were. So, anyway. Yeah, I was into Price is Right too. That's true. All right, let's pray, and then uh, we'll look into God's Word this morning. God, we, uh, we acknowledge um, that we are sitting in a physical building uh, in the middle of a town, and we're on a definite street corner, and we're breathing air and oxygen, and we acknowledge all these physical realities. We're sitting in uncomfortable plastic chairs. Uh, we acknowledge all these realities that are physical and that we see and can feel, but we also acknowledge that we exist even this very moment in time, in a world that we can't see. And there's parts of our own being, our souls, that we, we know we're there and we sense things going on, but we can't see it. And we can't see your Holy Spirit, who your word says is here. We can't see that. We can't see your hand at work. But we believe it's real, just as much as we believe the chairs we're sitting on and the floor that our feet are on. Or at least we want to believe that. So help us in our unbelief to believe that we live in a world that's both physical and invisible, and what goes on in the invisible world is just as real as anything else we experience in life. And that's where you do great work, God. And so our prayer is that you, uh, that part of your world would intersect with our world and that we can um, begin to bring the life and the peace of Jesus to the world that we live in. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, we're not going to get back in groups, so I have a couple other Your Story Matters questions just to throw out to get you thinking. And this is just it's related to what we're talking about today. And this is, a, this is one question I love to ask. If you've ever been around me at all, I love to ask this question. What brings you joy lately? We're not going to get in groups and talk about that. Um, frankly, I think it's a great question to ask even in a conversation with somebody. But and the reason I like asking this question is it gets you to think about have I even experienced joy lately? Right? Not, not, not like happiness, giddiness, but joy. Sometimes somebody might simply say, well, I had a really great time with my parents or my kids or whatever. It might be small bits of joy, maybe something big that you've seen God do, but I like to ask this question because it gets joy back on our screens because sometimes the best we can do most of our lives is we're just getting in survival mode. We're just trying to stay above the waterline. Looking for joy almost seems like a luxury. But that's a question like that. So let me ask another question. Uh, what brings you peace lately? And maybe I'll rephrase it this way. Here's another. I'll phrase it this way. Go to the next one. Because today the topic is going to be peace. On a scale of 1 to 10, I was a math major. I love numbers. Everything has to be in a scale, all right? Scale of 1 to 10 with 1 being uh, high anxiety, relational hostility, and confusion, and 10 being I'm experiencing all the peace that Jesus promised. How would you rate the degree of peace in your soul today? Are, are you at peace? Um, Jesus said, and it's amazing when you look at all the times Jesus talked about peace. Not like world peace, not like end of war. John 14, he says to the disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled and don't be fearful. Because he said, I'm giving you a kind of peace that no matter what happens, you don't need to have a troubled heart and you don't need to give in to fear. 
Later he tells the disciples, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you might have peace. In the world you have tribulation. In the world you have hassles. You have relational conflicts. You have financial struggles. You have internal struggles. You have all kinds of stuff going on. But then Jesus says, just take courage, I've overcome the world. And then after his resurrection, when Jesus appeared to the disciples, what was, his li- what was his line that he always started with? He always said to his disciples, peace be to you. Peace. And he wasn't talking about peace, like I said, like absence of war. There was something that Jesus was talking about over and over again to his disciples. And he, it's other times in the Gospels, and it's repeated in the rest of the New Testament. For that, that matter, it's in the Old Testament. It's this concept of peace. Somebody at peace. Not passivity, not sleepiness, but peace. Not a perfect world, not means everything's going your way, but peace in the midst of things around you that are not. Whereas, uh, you know, there's hostility, there's confusion, there's disturbance, there's anxiety, there's all kinds of things we can experience. But Jesus says there's something that seems to be quite unique about the religion Jesus came to kind of help us understand the kind of life is this kind of peace we can experience in our beings that, ha- that is regardless of anything happening around us. I mean, Jesus is saying this knowing the cross and his torture and his death is right around the corner, and he's talking to the disciples about peace. You're going to have a peace that will be irrational. The world will understand it. It will make no sense to anybody because when things around you aren't happening well, you're going to have peace. So how do you get that kind of peace? How do we live that way? What does it mean? Is it just a matter of got to think peaceful thoughts? Or how do we get that way? So we're going to look at, we've been doing a series uh, from the book of Philippians. And this week and then next week will be the last week. But I've been calling it Living a Life of Abnormal Joy. um, From Philippi to Kirkwood, the book of Philippians. Philippians, if you're familiar with the New Testament or not, it's one of the letters that Paul wrote. So it's called the Epistles, Epistles Letter. One of the letters that Paul wrote to a church, to the Christians in Philippi, and then these letters were then circulated. Actually, the picture on the, on the far left is actually the earliest known manuscript copy of Paul's letter to the Philippians. So it's not the original. We don't have any of the originals. But we have, there's a whole science of all the copies. So that's the oldest known copy of the book of Philippians, the letter that Paul wrote. And then it was circulated to other churches. So other churches would have a chance to read these and hear Paul's encouragement through them. And that's why it was passed on to us. It was church leaders then collected the ones they thought were the most um, important and then ones that were definitely sent from God to us. Um, so Paul's writing this. Now, to ask this before, where was Paul when he wrote this? He was in prison. And I always say that because the Roman prisons were like rocks underground. So it wasn't, I mean, prison life now wouldn't be good for any of us. But think even worse than that. Kind of dun- think dungeon. Think dark, dreary, dreary dungeon think I don't know if I'm going to get out of here alive, think I may be beheaded sometime soon, think the Apostle Paul who's already been stoned and whipped and beaten and left for dead, and now he's in this underground pit where he has to rely on other people to bring him food or anything for sustenance, no, no like warm blankets, no ESPN, nothing, nothing like that. It was just dark dungeon. And he writes about joy? And now we're going to look where he's writing about peace. How do you have peace? It's like, come on, Paul, every circumstance is working against you. How do you have joy and peace? So you think about that, and you think if, if Paul can talk about that and think about, and be that way, 
then it must mean that we can be that way. We can experience joy and peace in spite of circumstances around us. So God never promises he's going to eliminate all the problems around us, but he does promise, Jesus' clear promise is, everything around you could be falling apart, the mountains could be falling into the heart of the sea, but you can have peace. You can be a, the kind of settlest to your soul that is strength, that is at rest, not passive, not resignation, but strength at rest. And you've been around people that you would say are peaceful people, and there's something appealing about that. How do you do that? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read from the book of Philippians. We're going to look at chapter 3, and I'm just going to read through this, and we're going to look at some of the situations that Paul was talking about that could have caused unsettledness. Now here, let me give you an example of, this is my picture of peace. And this will definitely age me, and I know some of you have never seen this commercial before. There used to be a commercial about Prell shampoo. Does that even exist anymore? Prell? Okay. I never used it. It was like a dandruff shampoo. But the commercial was, and some of you might remember this, they would drop a pearl. I see some nodding heads from the over 50 crowd. Yes. They would drop a pearl. They, sh- they want to show how thick the shampoo was, as if thickness of shampoo meant better. Who knows? They drop a pearl in the shampoo, and it would... The whole commercial was how slow the pearl took to get to the bottom of the shampoo bottle, right? That, that picture to me, I, mean, I probably saw it when I was seven years old. I wasn't thinking peace then. I just thought it was kind of cool. But that picture to me has always been the sense of how do I have that kind of rest in my soul? Because what happens is in our lives, I do this, it's almost like somehow peace starts to happen, and then somebody hits the blender switch, and goes, everything gets messed up again, and the ball goes back to the top, and it never has a chance to go down. Right? That's, we kind of, we, we experience a little bit of, it's kind of an exhale. I feel like I'm kind of getting in sense of feeling secure in God's world. I feel God's good. He loves me, and then, I gotta, and then somebody hits the blender switch, and the ball goes right back to the top again. One time when I talked about this, I actually brought a blender in and tried all this, but it got kind of messy, so I'm not going to... But you get the sense, though. It's like, like sometimes our souls really... We, we experience a little bit of that... I don't mean just physical exhaling. I mean the soul exhale. But then something hits the switch. And we're, oh, i got to take care of this. i got to worry about this. i got to be anxious about this. And then... And, and peace just kind of eludes us, and it starts again. Then... The, and how do we live a life where we can have that kind of a, what I'll just call a solid, immovable peace? I've been around people like that. I mean, people that, I was with one guy one time who was really godly man. And he was supposed to speak at this big event, and some reason I was riding in the car with him, and he missed like the turnoff like five times in Chicago. He wasn't paying attention. He wasn't really smart. But, I mean, but he never got rattled. And I wasn't even speaking, but I was getting rattled, thinking he's going to be late to the speaking engagement. But he was like singing hymns the whole time. Maybe he was clueless. I don't know. Maybe peacefulness is cluelessness. I don't know. But he seemed to have a sense of, yeah, we just missed that one. It's not going to be. He, was, he lived an unrattled life. So let's look, at, let's look at Philippians chapter 3 and look at some of the things initially that Paul talks about. Again, he's writing to people, average, ordinary people, just like we are. This is in a town of Philippi. Philippi was a Greek city, but it was part of the Roman Empire uh, at the time. So he says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. Okay, Paul's in prison writing this. Pattern your lives after mine. Learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, 
there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Jesus. Paul's talking here about people who call themselves followers of Jesus, but they're not living that way. He's not talking about the pagan evil ones. He's talking about people who kind of paint themselves as being followers of Jesus, but they're not. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. So the high sense is they think about the here and now. It's all they think about. And in that in and of itself becomes an unsettling thing. But he says, don't be like that. If, if you, all you think about is now, here, now, what do I want here, now, that will never lead to peace. Go on here. But we are citizens of heaven. In other words, we, we have an identity that comes from somewhere else. Now he's not saying, but we're going to go to heaven after we die, so just hold on. But he's saying, no, we have a whole different mentality about life where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. Think about it for a second. When you, you know, we don't do it here on a regular basis. Some of you may have grown up in what people call liturgical churches, Catholic, Episcopal, um, Anglican, those kind of churches, where you do the Lord's Prayer. Or sometimes you do it before sporting events as if somehow the Lord's Prayer will help you get the touchdown. But anyway, and there's a part of the Lord's Prayer that says, um, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Really, what that prayer means is, will what's true up there be true down here? So if I'm a citizen of up there, and we don't, heaven's not necessarily up there, we don't know exactly where it is, but what's true about that world, the heavens, which is where God is, where what, would, what reigns there? Forgiveness, peace, joy, mercy, love. Will what's true up there come down here and our prayer and the Lord's Prayer is, and God, will you use me to be the conduit for that to this world? In other words, I'm a citizen of that world. I want to bring the values of that world to this world because it's counterintuitive to this world. This world doesn't necessarily value forgiveness or mercy. So that's what Paul's saying here. We're citizens. We, live, we're, we, we have to live with a different understanding of how, what our values are, and we bring that here. Verse 21, he will take, talking about Jesus, our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. All right, keep going. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. We're in chapter 4 now. Next one. Now I appeal to Euodia and Synthiki. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Now think about this for those two women. Those two names of two women. Just think if you're those women and you get this, church gets this letter and Paul's like, so whoever's reading it is like, now I plead to Yodians and they keep, get along. I mean, let's say they're sitting over there and they're like, I can't believe Paul put our name in public. I Man, it got passed around to churches. But it must have been a known disagreement. And I ask you, my partner, to whoever was sending this letter, to help those two women for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. What steals peace more than conflict, right? And I know I'm talking to people who have marriages that have zero conflict, <laughs> friendships that have zero conflict, right? I'm joking. Think about what steals your peace. When you think about if you were to rate your level of peace, the peace of your soul, if you think about what's robbing you of peace, my guess is sometimes it's relational hostility, conflict. And I don't mean hostility like rage, but you know what I'm talking about. If you're married, if you have parents, if you have siblings, you have friends, which is all of us. 
you know what it's like to have some kind of disharmony, some discord, and what that does to your soul almost immediately, the soul's peace factor drops. Because it's something's going on, whether it's your own selfishness, their selfishness, or a combination of both, starts to drive conflict. And for those of you who know what I'm talking about, which again, as all of us, we're all in those kind of conflicts, that kind of peace seems elusive. And I will say for those of us who are married, that peace does seem elusive sometimes, because it's like, because we think peace happens if the other person just sees it our way. So Paul's, it's interesting, Paul brings out these names in public. Now, I'm sure these women would have been appalled if they knew that these things would be read for hundreds of years afterwards. They're probably, they're probably in heaven now telling Paul, why'd you put our names in there? Why can't you just use two women anyway? So he's talking about this real disagreement was happening. He asked this friend who was delivering the letter, will you help them work it through? They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers. Her names are written in the book of life. So that's a real... Thief of peace. Where, where's that showing up in your life? And what we do with that is, we're talking about it in a second here, but how do you get past that? Always be full of joy in the Lord, Paul says as he writes from a deep, dark dungeon prison. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. And he wraps up here in the next few. Don't worry about anything. Here's where we get talking about peace, and I think even what he's been writing has kind of led up to this. Don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious is another word that's translated here. Don't be anxious. The word there literally means unsettled, you know, the, the weightiness of the cares of this world. He's not saying don't think about your responsibilities in life, but he's saying don't, don't let anxiety grip you. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, and I love this next line, which exceeds anything we can understand. It's irrational. It doesn't make any sense. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. One of the questions I've asked uh, people in different group settings, is I'll ask them, what, if anything, would keep you awake at night? What keeps you awake at night? Is it like a relational issue, financial concern, uh, concern about your future, about your job, about your major, about your retirement, whatever we're talking about? What might keep you awake? And some of you may think, well, might keep me awake. It does keep me awake. I mean, I have a friend of mine that um, I've known for years, and he has a hard time sleeping because of anxieties. Now, is, should I just tell him, pray about it, does it make it go away? Because he does pray about it. But as he gets older, it seems like the peace seems more elusive. So what do we do with that? How does that peace happen? Because Paul seems to be saying, if you don't have to be anxious about anything, just pray about it. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And it's not a formula. This is not a formula necessarily. It's a mindset. We'll talk about that here in a second, but it's a mindset about how do you, how do you live at peace when you have a child that's kind of rebelling and doing things they shouldn't be doing? How do you live at peace when your marriage isn't really all that strong? How do you live at peace when you have these financial stress factors? How do you live at peace when you don't like your job? 
Because God never said he comes to us and snaps over our heads and all of a sudden everything around us becomes peaceful and joyful and rosy. Sometimes in the midst of struggle, in the midst of Paul being in this deep, dark hole of a, of a prison, he's peaceful? I, I, would have loved, I wouldn't have loved to have been in prison. I would have loved just to sat by Paul for 10 minutes and just ask him, how, how do you do this? He's not faking. I'm not saying the fakey kind of joy and peace that sometimes... If we're honest, we can see sometimes on Christian TV or even in our own lives where we pretend like we're joyful or peaceful when we know inside the blender's on high, like nothing's going well. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Go to the next slide, this is the last one. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Now go back, Stephanie, to the one we were just on, because I'm going to just kind of hit on this again, and, and then we'll finish on this one. So the, the million-dollar question is, the Price is Right Bob Barker question is, how do you then experience the peace of God? Is it simply... Okay, I should pray about it, tell God what I need, and be grateful. Do those three things in your prayer. I mean, I'm, I'm being a little facetious or sarcastic because it's not a formula. I know people, in my, even in my own life, times of anxiety or lack of peace, I try to do the formula because I just want to go back to sleep. I just want to feel peaceful again. I don't like feeling anxious. But let me tell you one of the best definitions I've read lately about peace. This, this author wrote this. He said, peace, peace is the deep rest and security that comes from total abandonment to Jesus. Now, that last part is the challenging part, right? Because we all want total rest and security and a feeling of well-being. But he doesn't say by simply praying a formulaic prayer. Neither is Paul saying that. But what this author who wrote this, who gets it from Scripture, says, no, it comes from when you are willing to be totally abandoned to Jesus. And simply say, okay, here's my prayer, Jesus. I don't feel like I'm at peace. My marriage isn't at peace. I'm anxious about money. I'm anxious about my future, my job, my career, my retirement, whatever. But Jesus, I, I want whatever you want, and I trust you are good in my life and are in control of my life. And I'm not going to give you any more preconditions, any more uh, reasons and ways you have to work my way, Jesus. You figure out, you tell me, Jesus, how you want me to go through this. Your way. No conditions. Your way, Jesus. Because I'm going to be confident that I can be safe. Because I believe, God, you're good. We were singing that song earlier. And I sing because you are good, and I dance because you are good. And I'm, I'm, I was sure as we were singing that, there were some people, even in this room now, who were thinking, I'm not sure that God is always good to me because I haven't been experiencing that lately. As a matter of fact, if God was good, why did X happen? If God is good, why did Y happen? If God is good, why did Z happen to my mom, to my sister? Why are all these things happening? Because we kind of start questioning the goodness of God. So part of, our, part of our journey to be people of, who can experience the peace of God, one is 
it's in a, like this one author said, it's in a, it's saying, Jesus, whatever you want, have your way, because I do believe you're good. The, the original lie in the Garden of Eden, which we all have experienced, is when Satan says to Eve, how do you know God's really good? Maybe he's withholding on you. He doesn't want you to eat that, because if you did, he, there's something he's holding back. That's the, ultimately, every time Satan tempts us, it's, that is the lie. God's not good. He's withholding something from you. And as long as we let that kind of simmer in our heads, anxiety is always going to be there. As long as we are not quite sure God is good, therefore we, we want to give God some conditions. Well, God, you can solve this problem, but I want to make sure you do it, including X, Y, and Z. We give God all these preconditions because we don't know if we want him to kind of start messing up stuff. It's like the example I've given before, and I, this person I was talking about who I was telling you, a friend of mine who doesn't go to church here, does not just, who struggles with anxiety. I keep telling them, sometimes I think anxiety and worry is kind of like the check engine light on your car. How many people right now have a check engine light on your car that you're, you don't care about? Or you care about, but you're not going to do anything about it, right, Bill? <laughs> You care, all right? Wouldn't you just love to put duct tape over that, right? Because if you don't see it, it means the engine's okay, right? Well, sometimes that's what we do. Sometimes anxiety, relational discord, which is part of anxiety, you know, that Yodi and Synthiki were experiencing, discord, relational discord, anxiety, worry, fears, I, I think a lot of this, at, that's the check engine light that God's trying to get our attention about something. Bang, 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 bang. And the solution is not to unplug the fuse that controls the light. The solution is go to a mechanic who will flip open the hood and look in and try to figure out what's going on. But my experience with me and my experience with other people I know who are followers of Jesus, my experience with one person I'm talking about who I know is a friend of mine who experiences anxiety is we don't really know if we want the hood flipped up because we're not sure what Jesus might find. Because maybe the source of anxiety is some issue we've really got to wrestle with. We don't want to wrestle with. I don't want to wrestle with a lack of forgiveness towards somebody from a couple years ago that's probably affecting my relationship with my wife now. I don't want to wrestle with the idolatry I have about money, and that's why I'm anxious about money. I don't want to know those things. I just want God to solve the problem and turn off the dang light, right? That's all we want. We just want the check engine light off. But God's like, well, no, but if I'm going to fix that, I've really got to flip open the hood, and I've got to kind of get down to the problem. Search me, O God, know my heart, right? Psalm 139, try me and know my anxious thoughts. That's the prayer of the psalmist. Search me, O God, flip open the hood. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See what's not working in me. I'm paraphrasing. That's kind of what it means, though. See what's not working in me and lead me into the way of, lead me into the way of wholeness in life. So maybe what Paul is saying, and I believe this is what he's saying, when he's saying pray about everything, tell God what you need, thank you for what he's done. Maybe it's just the willingness to tell God, okay, this anxious check engine light is on. For whatever reason, money, relationships, future, whatever. Are you willing to pull your soul into God's mechanic bay? If I can, if you can picture God with greasy fingernails, I don't know. Would you let him flip open the hood 
and take a look, knowing what he might say might somehow be costly, well, you've got you've to deal with this. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is how I always deal with mechanics. My first question is this. If I don't fix that, will it ruin the car? Right? How many of you ask that question? Well, what happens if I don't? I always ask that. What happens if I don't fix that? And sometimes the mechanic will say, which one thing he told me late, the mechanic told me, ah, it just, it's just an uncomfortable ride. It doesn't damage anything. Sometimes they'll say, I wouldn't drive it five miles like that, sir. Because at least what I'm doing, I'm counting the cost. Am I willing to deal with the discomfort for the cost of fixing it? So when God says, no, here's, here's your anxiety up here. Here's what you think is the problem, this check engine light. But I can tell you, it's really kind of this issue here that has to do with an idolatry issue in your life or a forgiveness issue or something else or a trust issue. It's really down here. And if you're willing to deal with that, I think the problem will go away. But it's our fear of that. Because we, if we're honest, we don't know if we really trust God. We, know, but we never say that because it sounds so blasphemous to say that. But if we really trusted God in a complete abandoned kind of way in which Paul was at that point in his life, if we really trusted God that way, then whatever he would pop open the hood and find, show something, we'd, we'd deal with it because we know that's the way to peace. It's not because God loves us giving big mechanic bills. He doesn't love hurting us. What he loves is he loves when we finally become what he made us to be and we exist and we live life and do relationships, everyday life, with abnormal joy, unusual peace that defies our circumstances. So I suppose my challenge from even what Paul's writing here and the whole idea of how do we experience God's peace, I'll just go to Psalm 139. I don't have this on the screen or anything, but the prayer of the psalmist is, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And then lead me to this life that's full of life that you said I could have. But if you try to skip the one step and go to full, joyful, abundant life, but you don't let God pop open the hood, you won't get there. You, know, you may have a false joy and a false peace that we all know, and we'd all, if we knew you well, we'd all call it shallow. And none of us wants that, but we're so afraid of the cost that God might give us. But that's where, and I'll just close with this because we do communion every Sunday, but that's where our fear is rooted in that, well, I don't know if God's good, I don't know if he loves us and it's going to hurt. And then... God always turns us back, and Paul does too, always turns us back to Jesus because it's, it's, it's the proof positive of God's love for us. Because there's nothing you've done that's outside of God's range of his love. There's nothing inside of you that's outside the range of the healing of Jesus. I don't know all your stories. My guess is some of, some of you might have things that you don't want the hood up because you don't want God to bring something up that you know if he brought it up, that would be painful. But always know, too, that Jesus always goes with you in those painful places. So you want to be the kind of person that experienced the kind of peace and joy. Then we do have a God who became man, 
His name was Jesus, a God with us who goes with us. You don't go alone in those dark places. He leads you to peace. He doesn't just give us a map. He goes with us because he knows the way to get there. So here's, my, uh, here's how we do at Exodus. We do, uh, we'll sing another song or two, I think, and then uh, communion, we just, you come on up while we start singing. We don't dismiss by rows. We don't, um, we don't try to figure out who's up or down. We're not trying to nail people or anything. Anybody's welcome to take communion who, as far as you know, you would say, I want to follow Jesus, and there's nothing known in my life, nothing I know of in which I'm willingly giving God the straight arm. If you're, willing, if you're doing that and you know that, it's probably to your own benefit not to take. It's not a shameful thing at that point, but it's just don't, and nobody checks. We're not, if you don't take, we don't ask. Nobody comes after you afterwards and says, please give me the reason why you didn't. Nobody asks that question. Um, but just be, be wise. But for all the rest of us, all the rest of us who make mistakes and trip and fall and have sinned multiple times this week, but want more of Jesus, want more of his life and forgiveness, for all the rest of us, this is all for us. It's not for perfect people. You, this is not something you've earned by having a good week. This is not something you deserve by um, being a good Christian this week. This is something, this is a means of grace. This is what we need to be reminded that Jesus is with us, in us, and for us. That's why we do this. Because we need to be reminded that as we, as we walk through the dark issues of anxiety or fear or conflict or interpersonal issues we need to know that jesus goes with us because we know that if we go and buy ourselves into that dark tunnel it's hard so uh as we when as soon as we sing we start singing there'll be people at the aisles they'll have the bread they'll offer your bread just tear off a piece that's how we do it they'll offer you a cup we don't drink out of the cup just dip your bread in the cup it's just how we do it there's no deep theological reason there but just how we do it most people eat it right away some people take it back to their seats it's up to you however you want to do it so let me pray and then the band will come up and we'll sing uh, Jesus, you, um, your word says that you opened up.